But I had a thought in my heart just coming out of the Bible conference to try to solidify some things into our minds as a church. In John 18 and verse number 37, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear, bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? What is truth? This past week in our Bible conference, we invited four preachers to come in for a week and to preach a total of eight sermons. And many of us sat here every night, listened to two sermons a night, and would have come back Friday night and Saturday night if we would have extended the meeting. I think I had more of you texting me this weekend telling me how much you appreciated the meeting and the preachers that were here. And I think it was a real help to our church, the kind of preaching that we heard. But somebody would ask, well, why in the world would you do that? Because in a normal course of a year, if you just come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you're going to get 150 sermons in a year if you just come to all three services. But we value preaching. We value the truth of the Word of God that that's not enough. So we schedule special services to get even more preaching. We recognize that the Word of God is the repository of truth and we want and we need that truth spoken in our life. And for many of us, not all, but for many of us, having that truth spoken in our life is more important than anything else that is going on at the time. As I thought about the meeting and the thought that was impressed upon my heart was how grateful I am for the truth. I don't believe I would have come if I had thought these men were going to lie to us. Or if these men were <coughs> going to just preach something to us that they thought that we wanted, they, wanted, that they, they thought that we wanted to hear. But the man of God stands in the pulpit and he delivers truth, not his truth, but God's truth. And if you think about it, it really is the most valuable commodity that you have in your life because if it were not for truth, you and I would be going to hell. And so that word, that word truth, that word has been on my heart for a while. And Pilate asked the question, what is truth? Now that would be a fine mess to be in, to not know the truth. And Pilate wasn't a dummy. He's an educated man. He's an accomplished man. He is well versed in the ways of the world, but the very personification of truth stands before him and he is ignorant as to the truth. There's a world around us that lies in the darkness of the wicked one and does not know the truth. Most men judge truth by their experiences or by their opinion or some philosophy that they have bought into. But I tell you, the truth is not something to be invented. It is not something to be twisted. It is not something to be interpreted to fit an agenda. Truth is not open to interpretation. Truth is absolute. It is dogmatic. It has no agenda. It is higher than your opinions. It is higher than your ideas. It is higher than your emotions. And the Bible places a great emphasis on Truth, truth, just truth. God is a God of truth, Deuteronomy 32, 4. He is the rock. His work is perfect. 
For all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right he is. Jesus himself is truth. John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. John 16 and verse 13, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. And then thank God, our Bible is truth. John 17 and verse 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Thank God for truth. There's a principle in Biblical interpretation is called the principle of first mention that, that wherever you find a, find a word or a concept in the Bible for the first time, then, then pay attention to that. So I looked it up. Genesis 24 and verse 26. This is Eliezer going to get a bride uh, for Isaac. And, and he bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So the first mention of the word truth in the Bible is a man who is rejoicing, thanking God that he's not been destitute of truth and for God leading him in the right path. And you and I should rejoice. We should rejoice that we have not been left destitute of the truth. The word truth is found 200 and. 24 times in the Bible, the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. We are to be guardians of the truth. We are to be witnesses of the truth. Our mission is to preach the truth. And when a church decides to take on any other agenda other than preaching the truth and an allegiance to the truth, then that church has lost its moorings. I'm not preaching on this this morning, but I'll just mention this, that when I look at modern trends in evangelical churches, I don't know whether to laugh or to cry. And a lot of churches fashion their worship services so as to be relevant, to be in sync with the culture around them. We've been told that in order to reach unchurched Terry and Mary, that we've got to be able to relate. That's the, that's the buzzword, that we've got to be able to relate. And, and personally, I think that a lot of preachers make themselves look foolish by trying to be hip and cool and, and, and relatable. And one of the problems that, that they have is they're trying to relate to a world that doesn't want to relate to them. In the heart of every unsaved man, there is a natural hostility against God. And what you have to do is you have to water down the gospel and downplay all the offensive parts of God, like his holiness and his justice and his wrath. And what these churches try to do is they try to convince the world that they can be Christian and the Christian that they can be worldly. And so we need to be inclusive. We need to be tolerant, pluralistic. We need to be open-minded. And if we can somehow get the world to think that we are just like them, then maybe they'll like us and accept Jesus. Surely the reason they don't accept Jesus is because they don't like us. And that's why modern preaching cannot be offensive. Well, this past week we heard some strong preaching. I hope we never get to the place in this pulpit where that can't be delivered with some liberty and some force and some authority. There has always been and there always will be an irreconcilable incompatibility between God and the world. And a preacher giving some pop culture sermon is not going to bridge that gap. God is not going to come down to man's level. His authority is absolute and it must be preached with the authority with which it holds. We have to do what every generation has done before us, that is stand up and speak the truth, carry on the confrontational ministry of the gospel. That's why we tell the world that your thinking is wrong and your living is evil and your religion is vain. 
And there's an awful destiny in hell that is waiting for you. And we trust God to empower the message of the truth. So just thank God for truth. So I've had that thought in my mind. Let me give you a couple of things this morning. First of all, a definition of truth. Just think about the word. Everybody has their own standard. Everybody has their own idea, whether we judge whether something is true or not. So what is the nature of truth? Why is truth so incompatible and intolerant with the world and vain philosophy? And I'll give you a couple of words. I want you to write them down. I've given you these words about seven years ago. I'll give them to you again. But here's a couple of words that defines truth. Here's the first one. Truth is objective. Objective. Objective means that the facts remain outside of you. You observe them. You observe that they are true regardless of what you think. Now, the opposite word is subjective. Subjective means that the fact is inside of you. It is what you want it to be because it is created inside of your mind. So so objective, objective is based on provable facts. Subjective is based on opinion. For example, here is an objective statement. A bowling ball is heavier than a baseball. I don't care whether you agree with that or not. That is a fact. That is an objective statement. Here is a subjective statement. Apples taste better than oranges. Well, it might not to you, but it does to me. You see the difference? Now, objective statements are fixed. A bowling ball will always be heavier than a baseball. Subjective statements are subject to change. You might like apples better than oranges 10 years down the road. You may have a taste for oranges instead of apples. That truth may change for you. Now, now with that in mind, the Word of God is objective truth. It is not subject to your opinions or your interpretations or your thoughts. It is outside of you. It's not based on opinion. And, And therefore, it is not subject to change. And it is not one thing to somebody and something to somebody else. Well, I, I just read it this way. Don't matter how you read it. Well, well I, I don't. I don't personally think it's wrong. No matter what you think. Well, well, well. My thoughts on the subject are nobody's asking you for your thoughts, right? No, no. That, that's subjective. Truth is objective. Your thoughts, your beliefs, my opinions are all subjective. They come within me. The next man has his own sets of thoughts and his own opinions and his own ideas. But how are you going to govern your life from that which comes within you? How do you know what's right? It's just what you think. Friday, I am... Friday, I took the day off, and, and so Friday morning I got up, and, and, and our refrigerator's been out for two weeks, and so, so we, we've been on a fast food diet for two weeks, I guess, and, and so I got up Friday morning, and I was going to go and get me a chicken sandwich, and so I, I got up, and I went to Popeye's, and it was about 6.15, and they weren't, they weren't open yet, and so I, so I come out of the drive-thru, and there was a guy walking across the parking lot, and he was trying to say something to me, so I rolled my window down, and he said, they're not open. No, duh. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, I had never known. And I said, well, I guess I'll go down to Chick-fil-A. And he said, yeah, they might be open. And somehow we got to talking. Somehow the guy ended up in my truck, me taking him to Chick-fil-A, giving him chicken biscuit. <laughs> and uh, I, I, was, I, was, I, I thought, well, I, I think you can get you a chicken biscuit and, and be an opportunity to witness to him. 
And so we got Chick-fil-A, went to the drive-thru, got us chicken biscuit and orange juice. And all along, I'm, I'm trying to talk to him and I'm trying to, trying to witness to him. And this man, this man had so many foolish notions and, and ideas in his head that you, you couldn't, you couldn't nail him down. It's just, 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 you can't get that. I, I think just, I, I think drugs do that to you. I, I think it does something to the mind. You just you just can't have a you can't have, you can't have a conversation about anything. We got done. I asked him, "Where do you want me to drop you off off? I drop off at?" He said, "Um, in an orchard." <laughs> well, I'm not going to an orchard. I'm not okay. So so I but I'm trying to and every time I try to try to try to interject Christ or or talk about this boy, he had another idea and and he he knew so much about so many things that he ended up knowing absolutely nothing. And it's all, it's just stuff that he invented in his own head. Uh, but truth is not that way. Truth is objective. Every scientist has observed the law of gravity and they believe it to be true because it is an objective law of science. You don't have one group of scientists believing it and another group of scientists not believing it. If every scientist in the world was to sign a declaration that the law of gravity is no longer in force, the law of gravity would not be diminished one bit because that truth is outside of him. Their opinions don't carry any weight. You can study the law. You can observe the law. You can experiment the law. You can comment on the law, but you can't change the law. And so it is with Bible truth. The idea that you have your truth and I have my truth, why that's rubbish. You can read it, you can comment on it, you can study it, you can live it, but you cannot correct it and you cannot change it. No theologian has ever had a single thought that ever determined the truth or destroyed the truth. He may be able to explain the truth, but if he had never lived, if he had never lived, that truth would still be just as true and absolute. Your experience makes no contribution to the Bible. Your interpretation makes no contribution to the Bible. The only thing that you bring to truth is a submissive mind. And if it offends you, it's still objective. And if it doesn't relate, it's still objective. And it brings scorn upon your head, it is still objective. Truth, truth is objective. Secondly, truth is rational. But I mean, it's not, it's not mystical. It's not hidden. There's no secret code in the scriptures. How, how do you understand what God is saying? You understand it with a rational mind. It's logical. It, it is non-contradictory. It is clear. It is understandable. You read the Bible like you read any other book. When, when, you, read, when you read a history book, you understand this is talking about people, places, and events. You don't try to allegorize it or make it something else. And the scriptures have allegories. It has typology. But when you read about people, boy, that's a historical person. When you read about an event like creation or Jonah in the well, boy, that, that's an actual event. There is a logical, there is a rational process. There is nothing mystical about that. Now, now, here's the reason why I say that. And I feel like preaching just for a little bit, all right? And I, I know we have a small crowd, and I understand, but, but I, I just feel like preaching for just a minute. We live in a very dumbed-down society. We really do. We're not readers anymore. Well, some are not. Not readers. And if you're not readers, then you're not thinkers. We live in a nation that has been entertained to death, and they can only think in sound bites. 
Because that's what they hear all night, every night. Here's a great verse. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. Study. Study. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Did you know that it escapes some people that you can't understand the scripture if you don't study the scripture? And if you don't study, you ought to be ashamed. Really should. If you don't study the word of God, then you ought to be ashamed. And the common man on the street has no idea what he believes. He just knows what he heard on the news last night. Listen to me. I know nobody does this here, but I'll just say it anyway. And you can tell somebody else. If you sit and watch sitcoms every night and listen to bebop music, you are going to be a blooming idiot. You really are. Okay, go tell that to your neighbor because it don't apply to you. But I'm just telling. You, listen, li hey, listen, listen to the classics and listen to the bebop of the day. When you when you pull up to the red light, Lord help me, just just get back to the message and don't don't chase rabbits. But when you pull up to the red light and your cars are vibrating and you're wondering what, what's going on and it's the guy next to you and he's got some some rap going on and it's going on. I'm just telling you, that's a blooming idiot, is what that is. Had, had, had original thought in his mind. Read, hey, read the classics. Read the classics and read a novel of today. It does not require a whole lot of thought. Did you know that the literacy rate in America today is lower than it was in the Puritan New England of the 17th and 18th century? There was a Puritan writer, and we wouldn't agree with most of what he said. His name was Cotton Mather, and here's what Cotton Mather said. He said, ignorance is the mother of heresy. Oh, think about that. Uh -huh. now, you won't hear that on CNN. Ignorance is the mother of heresy. The dumbing down of society. But hey, hey, what has happened in culture is also happening in our churches. You dumb down the church and you make it ignorant of doctrine, then heresy has a field day. And most preaching dumbs down the crowd and it teaches no truth and it gives no context and it explains no scripture and it's just noise and babble is all that it is. Truth is objective and truth is rational. You comprehend it with a thinking mind. But then I say that truth is authoritative. It makes a demand of your life and it doesn't bow to culture and it doesn't bow to popular think. And it demand, demands that you submit to it or you will suffer the consequences. And if we believe, if we believe that we hold truth in our hand, then we must preach it with the authority and the dogmatism with which it holds. Paul wrote to Titus in Titus 2. He said, Titus, he said, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. We've left that out, by the way. All right, do a whole lot of exhorting, not a whole lot of rebuking. These things exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. I tell you that if this is God's word, then it is binding. He did not write a book of suggestions or recommendations. It is a book of absolutes and it is our authority. And you and I stand in the face of, the, of a cult or a heathen and, and we declare right and wrong. And your authority is that it is written in this book. A definition of truth. Now, as much as I enjoy the point, I want to go to the second one. There needs to be a declaration of truth. Oh, you should have said amen on the first point. Oh, you missed an opportunity. Proverbs 12 and verse number 19, the lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. 
Several years ago, I was counseling a couple of young guys in church, and they were they came to me, and they were battling some some issues that young men battled with. One was was battling with pornography, and one was battling with um with anger issues. And I counseled them. Here's, I said, here's what here's what you need to do. I said to the one that that was that was battling with anger, I said, you need to get a list of about fifty verses that deal with the emotions and controlling your spirit and anger. You need to memorize those verses. To the young man that was being tempted with pornography, I said, you need about 50 verses on purity and a clean mind. And you need to memorize those verses, memorize them cold. That way, when that temptation comes up, when that emotion comes up, you have a defense. You've got something now to battle it with. I don't think either young man took my advice that what it is. But, but, but I give you some, if you have a lying tongue, then what you ought to do is you ought to find you about 50 verses on truth, and speaking the truth, you ought to saturate your mind with that. I'll give you a couple. Psalm 119, verse 29, Remove from me the way of lying, and grant me thy law graciously. Verse 163, I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. Psalm 120, verse 2, Deliver my soul, Lord, from lying lips from a deceitful tongue. Proverbs 12, 22, Lying lips are abomination to the Lord. They that deal truly are his delight. Proverbs 13, 5, a righteous man hateth lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and cometh to shame. Proverbs 17, 7, excellent speech becometh not a fool, much less do lying lips of prince. That's just a few. Wouldn't it be great if we got to the point where every man, every word that came out of his mouth was just truth? It doesn't have to be brutal honesty, but it does need to be honesty. And you and I know that we live in a world of liars, don't we? A few weeks ago, I, um, I was going to trade my truck. I was going to trade my truck, and I went out truck shopping just gas mileage, and, and I, I was going to try to get a small car and, and better gas mileage. And I, I went and looked, and, and, and I drove a little Toyota Camry. It was, you sit on the ground, and, and, and I, I didn't like it. I said, just, just forget it. I kept my truck. But somehow I ended up driving off the lot with my wife a new car. <laughs> so it didn't work out exactly like planned. So she found a car that she was interested in, and we need to get rid of that Sienna. And so I was going to take my wife. I'd already looked at the car. We've already researched it in the Kelly Blue Book and already done my due diligence. So I'm going to take my wife to the car dealership, and we're going to drive this car, and I'm going to see if I can work out a deal trade. Now, I told my wife, I said, look, look. I said, you need to understand. I have absolutely no emotional attachment to a vehicle. None. I don't care how it smells. I don't care what bells. I, I have none. I have driven off of a lot over $100 before. We got within $100. I walked on knowing exactly what I'll pay for that truck. And it was $100 apart. And he wouldn't move $100. I said, no problem. I drove. The manager called me on the way home. He said, we'd sure like to sold you that truck. I said, I'd like to have bought it. He said, well, what was the problem? I said, it was $100. He said, you mean if we come $100 off you buy that truck? I said, turn around and come get it now. He said, come on back. So I went back and bought the truck and got my $100. I have no emotional attachment to this car. I, I, I have no problem. Driving. So you need to know this. You need to know this, all right? And then I told her, I said, you need to understand as well that I am driving onto that car lot with the default, the default position that the salesman that comes out to me is very skilled in lying. Now, I'm not saying every car dealer is a liar, but I believe the one I was going to get was going to be a liar. And you need to understand. You need to understand that. And I told her, I said, you need to understand that when we're sitting across this desk and we're talking 
And you're thinking, oh, this is a really nice man and he's trying to get us a good deal. You need to understand that I'm thinking, this guy's a snake. I don't believe anything coming out of your mouth. And if we're small talking and he says, I'm from Mississippi, he's probably from Missouri. That's probably a lie. What would it is? And you just, you just have to go in there knowing that. I, I, just, I just have the default. Just have the default that he's probably trying to cheat me. That, that's the world that we live in. Just about every week I get a letter from a missionary or an evangelist introducing himself. And in that letter there are usually letters of recommendation. Now, I never hardly, I hardly ever read letters of recommendation. Here's the reason why. If I was going to send you a letter of recommendation, I, there are certain people I would not want to write a letter of recommendation for me. Okay? I wouldn't give that letter out. I'd find somebody that thinks I'm a wonderful preacher, I'd have him write the letter. You know, or maybe my mom, I'd have her write the letter, something along those lines. Okay? So, so I already know that the letter recommendation comes from somebody that has been screened and is going to write a very favorable letter of recommendation. Or sometimes an evangelist will send a CD of his preaching so you can listen to him preaching to know whether you want to have him in your pulpit to preach. Well, I already know he, he's going to give me a CD of his very best sermon preached on his very best day. Right? So, so, so I really don't care. I got a letter several years ago and I kept it. And so I'm an evangelist that was introducing himself, trying to get his name out, trying to book some meetings. And it talked about where he went to school and all of this stuff. But I'm going to tell you something in this letter. Had something that is very rarely seen. It was honesty. It was honesty. I kept the letter. All right? I'm going to demonstrate honesty. Y'all okay? We got time. We got, we got time. Good. So here's what he said. He said, in search of God's perfect will, our service for the Lord has permitted us to do many things since the days of Bible school. For a brief period, I unsuccessfully pastored a small church in Noonan, Georgia. That was strike one. After that failure, my wife, son, and I headed back to our home state of Ohio, where we attempted to start work in the little country town of Ritman. I swung, and that was strike two. With no apparent success, it seemed wise to settle into a Bible-believing work, to sit and to serve, to take care of some personal debt that occurred with all the moving around that we had done. For the next two and a half years, the Lord allowed us to serve Him in a local Bible-believing church where my family and I were no grief to either our pastor or church family. Well, that's good. He said, at this point, my walk with the Lord, the desire to preach and do something for God was strong, if not stronger than ever before, he said, um, once again, I took another shot at the pastorate. This third time, my wife, two sons, and I packed up all of our personal belongings, made the cross-country trek all the way to the West Coast. By the invitation of a few families desiring a Bible-believing church, we attempted once again to start a work in Modesta, California. And brother, you guessed it, the third and final attempt at pastoring was also a failure. A third strike, and God finally showed me I was out when it came to the office of a bishop. Now that is an honest man. I don't know if he's going to make it in evangelism. Uh -huh. I don't know if anybody's going to have him for a meeting. That's an honest man. honest man. A man that will look you in the eye and tell you that I just didn't make it. Huh? I'll tell you, we have a duty to tell the truth. Now, I could preach on this forever, but, but, but there needs to be a return to truth and honesty. And here's the reason why. The heart of man is deceitful, desperately wicked. It is out of the heart that the mouth speaketh. 
Your heart is so full of lies that you need the blood of Jesus to cleanse your heart and then you need the Holy Spirit to control your heart. The problem is not our tongue. The problem is our heart. And there are some people sitting in our churches that are habitual liars. Lies spew out of their mouth before they even know what they're doing. Some are skilled at gossip. Some are skilled at slander. Don't quit on me. Some are skilled at flattery, all kinds of dishonest speech. You know what we ought to do? We ought to get back to just doing what we said. Keep your word no matter how convenient it is. Say, well, I don't have any money when you do. That's a lie. Well, I had to work when you didn't. That's a lie. Well, preacher, I couldn't make it when you could have. That's a lie. Well, I don't have time when you do. That's a lie. I'll pray for you and not. That's a lie. A declaration of the truth. Let me give you the third thing. There's a duty to the truth. What do we do with the truth? Probably everybody in here would say that you believe that the Bible's the Word of God. But what are you going to do with it? And when it is preached, there is a multitude of reactions and responses. So what is our response? I'll give you three things. First of all, there are some who resist the truth. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 8, Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. Acts 7 and verse 51, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. And we know that happens when a man preaches the gospel and, and the sinner rejects it. But I just want to say it also happens every time that somebody says an offending word or a gentle rebuke to you, and you get offended over that. And, and, and here's what's happened. We have become experts at tiptoeing around people because we know that people walk on eggshells. We know that people are very high-strung. People are very easily offended. And, and there's some, listen, there are some people that you speak to, you know there is an automatic defense mechanism that is going to kick in. And if you feel, if you feel the slightest rebuke coming, you're going, you're going, to, you're going to rise up in self-defense and you shut yourself down to any truth that could come to you. And there's people, listen, there's very, very few people that you can walk up to and just say, here's the truth. Let me just, let me just talk to you. No, what you have to do to couch it. Right? You, you, have to, you have to soften the blow. You know, two positives and a negative. And, 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 you know what I'm saying? You know, in recent years, we have seen an unprecedented attack on the First Amendment rights of Americans. In case you're not familiar, that's the freedom of speech, freedom of speech. And boy, we, we have seen an attack on that. And then, really in the past year, we have seen a very blatant censoring of truth by, by the news media, by big tech, by, by social media, YouTube. YouTube has gone on a campaign to suppress speech that doesn't fit their narrative. If you put up a video that says the election was rigged, then they'll take it down. If you put up a video that says the signs behind COVID or wearing a mask or vaccinations or whatever is wrong, then, then they shut you down. And then, then if you watch the news, if you watch the news at night, they're not giving you a fair and honest reporting. 
they're, they're suppressing the truth. They're, they're telling you just what they want to do. They're, they're leaving. They, they are blatantly lying to you because there's something they don't want you to hear. There is an all-out assault on the truth as Satan seeks to block it. But I'm going to tell you the very worst censoring that goes on. It is not in the news media. And it's not social media. It is when you censor the truth from your own heart. Oh, Yeah. But big tech and social media and the news media, that they can block the truth from others. But when you censor it from yourself, to refuse to listen to that which is objectionable. Zechariah 7 and verse 11. But they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts has sent in his spirit by the, they refused to hearken and they pulled away the shoulder and they stopped their ears and they made their heart as an adamant stone. They blocked the truth by coming into their heart. Acts 7 and verse 55, ye, he being full of the Holy Ghost, looked on steadfastly into heaven, saw the glory of God, Jesus standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man is standing on the right hand of God. That's Stephen. Then they cried, they cried with a loud voice, and they stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. I'm going to tell you, social media censoring truth documentaries is not your problem. Big tech censoring truth is not your problem. The government and news media lying is not the problem. No, the problem is our own heart that will not allow us to hear the truth. Some resist the truth. Some receive the truth. When somebody speaks truth into your life, don't, don't be offended at it. Receive it. Consider it. Deal with it. Someone may come to you with a rebuke. Now, you may consider it and say, you know, I don't actually believe that's true. I don't actually believe that I do that. But I'm not mad at you coming to me. I'm not offended because you said, no, no, I, I looked at it. I looked at it and, and, and I understand why, where you come from, but I, I don't necessarily believe that, but I'm not offended at it. Well, why, can't, why can't we just get to the place where you look each other eyeball to eyeball and just speak to others, men? Can, can I help you tonight? And this is a Sunday morning, and I've just got so many thoughts in my mind. Can I help you this morning? Somebody sitting in this room right now is going to get offended. And you're probably going to get offended at me. And you're going to get so offended, and you're going to sit there, and you're going to stew, and you're going to stew, and you're going to stew, and eventually you're going to leave. Somebody sitting right here right now that loves this church don't think you'll ever leave. One of these days, you will leave. Hey, do me a favor. Come look me in the eyeball. And just tell me. And I ain't going to get mad at you. I ain't going to talk bad about you. I'm not going to get in the pulpit and chew you out. No, I'm just going to look at you. I'm gonna talk. And, and we may say, you know what? The disagreement is just too strong. You ever got to part ways? Or maybe we can reconcile the thing together, but just come look me in the eyeball. I'm not going to get offended at you. I'm not going to get upset. Just look me in the eyeball. Isaiah 43 and verse 9, Let all the nations be gathered together. Let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified or let them hear and say it is truth. I'm an obligation to receive the truth. Here's the third thing. Some rejoice in the truth. 1 Corinthians 13. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. And that's what's been on my heart all week. I'm thankful for the truth. 
Because were it not for the grace of God, I could have been raised in a third world country with no access to the gospel. And were it not for the grace of God, I could have been raised in a home where some false religion, some cult was being preached. Were it not for the grace of God, I could be sitting in a church that preaches a false gospel that is sending me to hell even this morning. And I'm just thankful for the truth. I'm thankful for the preachers. I'm thankful for the preaching that I've heard in my life. I tell you, I listen to a lot of preaching while I'm walking in the drive, and I listen to it on my phone, and I figured out how to, how to do it through my headphones, and, and I listen to a lot of preaching. And Brother Knox, Brother Knox sent me, we were talking this week, and he sent me a link uh, to a website that has a whole lot of preachers, Bible church preachers that I had never heard of before, and I've been downloading some of them, and i got a little road trip to take, and man, I just, I'll just, I'm going to find me some new preachers I hadn't heard before and find somebody that speaks truth in my life. I was driving it. My, one of my favorite preachers growing up was a man named Ed Ballou. I loved Ed Ballou as a kid growing up. He was my hero, and I was, I was listening to him the other day going down the road, and he preached a message on floods. Well, the floods came, and, and the house the house fell, that, that, that story, and just, just blessed my heart. I love truth. And there's some of you this morning, you have a very loose regard for the church and a very loose regard for the ministry of the Word. And some of you watch more TV and you surf the Internet incessantly and your spiritual life is all but dried up and withered away. Thank God for the truth. And you ought to be thankful for friends that you can have an honest conversation with. I'm thankful for the times when my feelings were hurt. But when I went away and considered it, now what he said was true. And I accepted it and my life was better for it. Thankful for the times even when the truth hurt me. But it made me keep from making a whole lot of mistakes in my life. Thankful for the truth.